is all about the theme of our annual mission focus, Limitless, which begins next Sunday and the following Sunday. Two Sundays. Every year we take two Sundays to focus on how we as a church family are going to pool our resources above and beyond our regular giving and give sacrificially to support the 39 missionaries that we are partnered with all over the globe, some local, some China, on every continent, maybe not Antarctica. I'm not sure if we have a missionary in Antarctica or not, but, but we, our, our church partnered and taking seriously this mission that Jesus gave us of getting this gospel into the heart, to the ears of every human being. And, uh, and we, uh, during this, our mission focus, Ask each person who's part of our church family to give thought to what would you want to pledge to keep our missionaries on the field over the next 12 months, a monthly pledge. And on the first Sunday of each month, we receive those pledges, and, that's, and, and so we have an impact as a church, and that's a great thing, an impact far beyond uh, our own community that reaches across the world. And you make that possible. Everything a missionary does in the field, you're doing it right there with them. You're making it possible. So next week, we have uh, missionary Trent Roberts. He is a missionary to Tibet. Uh, it's going to be a great time with Trent here. He's a young missionary, and he's full of exuberance, and he's going to be challenging to us all. Then the following week, we have a, a senior statesman missionary, Fauzi Arzuni. This church has supported him for many, many years. He's in Mali uh, with Tom and Jenny, uh, you know, as many of you know, Tom and Jenny, uh, who were formerly on staff here. But Fauzi will be here two weeks. He'll be speaking in the morning. And then in the evening, we have a, uh, a first. This is the first chili dinner that Calvary Church has sponsored. And I know some of you men out there, even, have some great uh, secret recipes for making chili. Uh, Five-alarm chili. Uh, chili that's too, probably it isn't good for you, but it tastes good. It, you just suffer afterward. Uh, so on the back, you have a chance to sponsor your chili here. Or if you want to bring cornbread or any of the stuff that goes with chili, hot dogs, things like that. Take a look at it, fill in, drop it in the offering plate that'll come by a little bit later in the service. That's going to be a good night together at uh, 5 o'clock on the 23rd. And uh, it'll just be a great, great time. And what we'll do that night, Fauzi will be here. He'll speak to us. We're going to celebrate together sort of the concluding climactic moments of this two-week focus on our mission reaching our world for Christ. So keep those things in mind. Be praying about what God would want you to, uh, to do in terms of a commitment for the next 12 months. So, all right. Well... You know, in Jesus' very first sermon, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, one of the things that Jesus jumped right onto, right in the middle of that sermon, in fact, in chapter 6, verses 25 to 33, he got right down to the big source of stress and worry that people in his time were dealing with. And it was the worry and fear and insecurity about how to make ends meet. And so Jesus, in the middle of his sermon, he set out his view on how to make ends meet in this very difficult, in the, in the very difficult society they lived in and we live in today. Now, Jesus wasn't preaching some abstract theory. He spoke from experience as a carpenter. 
He had been taught from age 12 by his stepdad the trade of carpentry. And then after age 12, we, we never read anything more about his stepdad, Joseph, in the Bible. And most scholars think that Joseph probably died early. And that left uh, Jesus' mom, Mary. And, Jesus, and Mark chapter 6, verse 3 says that Jesus had four brothers and he had several sisters. So Jesus, as the oldest in the family, he became the breadwinner at an early age. And he used his carpentry trade. He worked long, hard days. He sweat. He had slivers. He knew, what, you know, he knew what it was to have sawdust in his hair. Jesus was a hard worker, supporting a family that could have been eight to ten people. Jesus had to struggle with making ends meet, just like everybody else did in his society. Now, I remember back in the uh, early, mid-60s, right after the 1950s post-war economic boom, there was a big slowdown economically. It affected almost everybody in the country, including my dad. Now, my dad had a chair at the house uh, that he, he spent a lot of time in. Uh, and we would see him sitting there totally absorbed in thought. He had this book. He had a pencil stuck up on his ear. And every once in a while, he'd pull it down and he'd scratch things in that book. And he could sit there for a couple hours. And mom told us that whenever you go into that room, you got to be quiet. I mean, we'd say, well, what's he doing? And he's figuring. <laughs> now, he wasn't figuring. He, the way we said it, she, was, she said he was figuring. So dad was sitting there figuring in the chair. And uh, we didn't know what he was trying to figure out. But, uh, but eventually we learned that a good part of what he was doing, he was trying to manage the finances of the house. He was struggling to make ends meet, wrestling with the budget. Now, my dad was a welder. Uh, he believed in hard work. He worked in a steel plant for 35 years, welder. Uh, and during that time, several times, he took second jobs. And one of those second jobs was uh, cutting pulp wood to sell to Hammer Mill Paper Company up in Erie, Pennsylvania, where they turned the wood into paper. Uh, and one of those summers, uh, he took, he would go into the woods, but he took Art and Gary and I, me and my two brothers, he took us with them. Now, I was 16 that summer. My brother Art was 14. Gary was 12. Dad taught us that summer about hard work and about earning money. Uh, I had gotten my driver's license, so Dad worked nights from 11 till 7 at the mill. Uh, I would drive down with Art and Gary. We would meet him as he came out of the gate of the mill after working all night. He would jump in the car. We would head to the woods. He would cut trees down till noon. Now, the least strenuous job was given to my youngest brother, Gary. He had a stick that was about 42 inches long. And after Dad would cut a tree down, he would take that stick with a piece of chalk. He would go and measure off the tree in 42-inch lengths because that's what the sawmill required. And then dad would come along with his power saw and cut those things up. And then Art and I, our job uh, was to bring the tractor and the trailer along and load all that stuff onto the trailer. My job was driving the tractor. Uh, so we had the heavier work there. Uh, Art and I were making a dollar an hour. And that was, we thought we were into big money right there. And we felt good about earning. Uh, my brother Gary though he got pretty upset 
because he was only getting 50 cents an hour for that marking job. He wasn't doing the heavy lifting. He was just going around marking trees. But you know what? Yeah, Gary got pretty upset. He, uh, he basically went on strike. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he entered into labor negotiations with my dad over this, saying this is not fair. And uh, so dad, I think he really liked Gary's spunk. <laughs> and so Gary got a raise. <laughs> he ended up making exactly what Art and I were making. And uh, whenever we see each other, a lot of times, that's still a joke we'll talk about down to this day. But anyway, uh, so dad taught us that summer about hard work and about how important it is, earning power, how important it is. Now, when Jesus stood in front of that large crowd in his time, because he had learned that same thing in years of being a carpenter, he identified with, he felt compassion for what all these people were going through in that struggle to make a living. But when he got to that part in his sermon that day where he began to talk about the pressures of finance, I'm sure that the people at first must have thought, what is he saying? It had to come across as completely unrealistic because this is his opening statement. He says in Matthew 6, 25, he says, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you're going to wear. Now, that had to, that, that had to seem really unrealistic. What, Jesus, are you saying we shouldn't be worried about the bills that are hammering us? You, are you saying that, that we shouldn't be worried and concerned about the food to be put on the table? And that we, you know, that we just sort of relax, pull back, uh, maybe let go of a second job or something like that. Is that what you're saying, Lord? Don't worry. Take it easy. Well, we know that that isn't what Jesus meant. Uh, because we've already established that Jesus himself was a hard worker. So what did Jesus mean? I think this is what he meant. He was teaching them the way to replace worry with trust in God when it comes to making ends meet. He was about to teach them a new way to have where, where God can get involved in that work, that, those five, six days of work during the week and, and help stretch their paycheck. In fact, how God gets involved even beyond our working power and our working effort to help us make ends meet with the underlying promise that God will be faithful to provide. Now, this is what Jesus means in the two examples he draws from. Uh, he draws from nature in the rest of the chapter. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't plant, they don't reap, they don't store away in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? In other words, your heavenly Father, as birds go about being birds and doing what birds do, the Father takes care of them. And then he says in verse 28, why worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor. They don't spin. They don't sit at spinning wheels. Uh, and yet, even Solomon in all of his splendor could not match the way God clothes the lilies. And if God clothes the grass and the flowers of the field here today and gone tomorrow, they used to take flower, uh, uh, grass and stuff. After it would dry out, they'd use it for fuel in the fire. If, if that's what happens to... To the, to the lilies that God cares so much about, how much more does he care about clothing you and meeting your needs? And then he adds this, O oh, you of little faith, 
That's that faith component that Jesus is trying to bring into the picture. Now, we're in a series here about seeing all of life through Jesus' eyes, to see with his viewpoint in contrast to the way the world sees and does things. Two weeks ago when we started this series, we talked about truth. Jesus' view of what truth is with a capital T, absolute truth. Last week, we looked at his definition, his view of what is right and what is wrong, very much in contrast to the versions of right and wrong that our world is making up today. Today, Jesus is giving us another contrast, a contrast between the way the world goes about making ends meet and the way Jesus Christ made ends meet in his life and what he calls us into to share his same worldview. Now, verses 31 and 32 is where Jesus begins to draw this contrast. Listen to what he says in verse 31. He says, and he repeats it, don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, that is, the people of the world who ignore God, they run after these things, frantic and worried and insecure and fearful. But you, your heavenly Father, he knows you have need of things even before you ask him. And he cares about the basic things of your life. So the contrast is this. The world's way of making ends meet is to make earning the first first priority. Earning money, earning, earning your way. Working hard and long enough to to have a car, to have a house, to have food, clothes, a dog, cat, TV, and to have something left over, hopefully, that you can just enjoy life, take vacation, and, and those kinds of things. And that's all great. Those things are all wonderful. They're good. Our whole economy is based upon the earning power of the hard-working American man and woman. Earning is the basis for the way the world goes about its view of making ends meet. But in verse 33, Jesus brings this faith component into the picture. And he gives his followers a totally different base for making ends meet. This is it in verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things, food, clothing, shelter, all those things will be given to you as well. What's he saying? He's saying make your first priority in in making a living to be seeking to spread to the world the message of God's kingdom. So that all people everywhere can come in to, can come to know Christ and be part of his kingdom. Jesus is saying that the, base, the basis Jesus gives for making ends meet is giving. Giving to support the spread of God's kingdom. What he's saying is the first budget priority of those who are my followers is not to run out into the world frantically earning so the bills can be paid and the needs can be met. What he's saying is the first financial priority of those who are my followers is to invest in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is eternal. All of these other things, they're going to pass away. So our hearts as God's people, our hearts are first and foremost, our highest priority of life, not just financially, 
But our highest priority of life as followers of Jesus is to make him known, to share him with the world. But it's reflected also in our very first financial priority, and that is to support that mission. You know, Jesus always had a way of turning things upside down, of seeing things in a completely opposite way than the world sees things. And this is one of those things. You know, it would, you would think that giving would be the very opposite first principle in making ends meet. You would think that. Because when you give, you're, you're, you're giving away your funds. Jesus says, that no, that's the first principle in making ends meet. Completely opposite of the way the world goes about it. And that's why he said it takes faith. Now, when Jesus speaks of seeking first the kingdom of God, what does he mean? Well, let's break that down a little bit. There's two things. First, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is really can be reduced and boiled down to the two most important things in our lives. He said it in the great commandment in Matthew. He said, remember what Jesus said, the first of all the commandments, the greatest of all the commandments is to love God with all your heart and soul and your mind and strength. And then the second commandment flows right out of that. That is to love other people, to love them as much as you love yourself. Love God and love others. That's really what seeking first the kingdom of God is all about. And, and Jesus is simply saying here that he's calling us to a love-based way of, of doing finances. And if we love first God and love others, then the first financial priority we're going to have in life is spreading the news of Jesus out of love for God and out of love for others. That's the first of our financial priorities. Now, the second thing about what it means to seek first the kingdom of God, we find this after Jesus rose from the dead. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says that after his resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days, that's a month and 10 days, with his followers doing two things, proving to them time and time and time again by appearing to them that he really was alive. He really was resurrected. He really is the Lord over all creation. He really is. He proved it. Secondly, it says he spent a good part of that time educating them about the kingdom of God. And what he told them was this. The kingdom of God is your mission. Uh, and, this, and he expressed it like this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That is right here in your home community. And then spreading out from there in Judea and then spreading out some more into Samaria, and then finally, your mission is to be involved in getting this message of the kingdom of Jesus out to the whole world, beginning at home and spreading it to the world. And that's why we at Calvary Church, we have ministry, many, many ministries that are reaching into our community here, but we are also seeking to partner with missionaries that take this gospel to the whole world. Jesus called us to this mission. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. It is the highest priority in the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ. And when we make that our chief heart priority, 
it's also going to be our first financial priority. Helping us fulfill, helping, helping that mission be fulfilled. Now, when these Jewish people heard Jesus talking about the priority of giving to God, they would have all automatically thought of one thing. The thing about giving, they had learned for century after century. They had been taught since Abraham. And that was the tithe. To give the tithe to God first. To, to worship Him and then to support His mission in the world as the highest priority. For instance, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. And then the passage goes on to say, bring that into God's house as an act of worship to him and to support his work, the work of his house in the, in the nation of Israel and in the world. Now, Jesus himself practiced tithing during his years as a carpenter. Taking the first, the word tithe simply means 10%. So let's stop there for a second and think about this. Uh, you might say, wait a minute. Uh, do you mean to tell me that Jesus is teaching the way to make ends meet for his followers is to take the first 10% of, their, of the profit from your earnings and, you, and give it to support the work of spreading the message of Jesus? Is that what Jesus is saying here? Uh, Yes, <laughs> that is exactly what Jesus is saying here. Absolutely. Now, maybe you have never really thought about this. Maybe you're new in the faith. Maybe you've been a Christian a short time, and this is, well, that seems a little radical to you. Or uh, maybe you've just never really thought deeply about what your role is personally in the funding of the church the funding of the mission that, that we together as a church family are committed to with our heart, souls, blood, tears, prayer, everything in life. But the answer to the question is a very, very loud yes, and it is a very loud yes in contrast to every way the world would ever go about making a living. But that shouldn't surprise us about Jesus. Now, let's take this question. Okay, 10% of gross or net. Well, there's some difference of opinion on that. But I think the emphasis is on 10% of what you are profited by. And that may mean for sure the net. A lot of people think it's referring to the net, your net income. Uh, now, it is true that very often it takes a bit of time after a person first becomes a follower of Jesus to grasp this matter of tithing, of giving that significantly to God's mission. And this, and I think the reason for that is because it takes time for faith to mature. There are two stages in the growth of a Christian in their faith. There's two stages. Stage number one is the receiving stage. The receiving stage is when you are brand new in Christ. You've just received him. You have received salvation. You have received forgiveness, received grace, received eternal life. In this first stage, you are receiving teaching. 
In this first stage, you come to church mainly. It's about receiving blessing, receiving encouragement, receiving hope, receiving strength, coming to get what you need to continue growing in the faith. Your needs are central in, those, in that early stage of Christianity, that early stage of faith. But as we grow in Christ, if we grow healthy in Christ, then we're going to move from stage one, that very dependent stage, where I, I, I need what God can give me. And that's good. That stage is healthy. You know, in fact, when you look at uh, preschoolers, uh, every child development class you'll ever take will tell you that in the first two, th- two or three years of life, um, that's a very, uh, that child sees the world through their, the lens of me. And that's why two-year-olds think they own the world, don't they? You have a two-year-old, don't they, don't they think that they own your house and they own you? And yes, they do. Well, when we first come to Christ, it's, that's the same. We're, we're infants in Christ, the Bible says. And, and so we're, we're receiving. We're, we're taking in the milk. We're getting our first steps, getting that first bit of health going as a Christian. But then as we grow and mature... There's a transition that takes place. We move into stage two of our faith. We move away from the receiving stage into the giving stage where I now not only come to church and am part of the church for the blessings I receive and the encouragement I receive, but even more I come to church and I am part of the church for what I can give what I can contribute, how I can serve, how I can put my soul and heart and sweat and life and my shoulder to the grindstone of this mission that Jesus gave us to do everything in my power and in the love God gives me to spread this message of Jesus, his love, his goodness to the world beginning outside the front door and going from there into the world so that these 39 missionaries, speaking about our church, they are not just these strangers that I hear about once or twice a year. They are people that I am linked with personally and as a part of this church. I am praying for them. They are laboring on that field every day, 365 days of the year, because we put them there to share Jesus with priceless, eternal people who will perish if they do not hear the message of Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby people can be saved from their sins and from an eternity separated from God. Except this gospel, this message of the kingdom, get to them. We have sent 39 people out, and we need, they need our dollars behind them to help them carry this task out. That's why Jesus was so strong that this is the first priority. So this matter of the giving of the 10%, when we get into that second stage of Christianity, that second stage of our growth, Giving 10% is no longer a scary thing. It's no longer, oh man, the church is pushing me, this obligation on me. I don't want to, it's not an obligation. I'll tell you what, it becomes, it comes out of vision and mission and and joy because of what it's doing. It's touching people's lives. It's getting the word of the cross, the resurrection and Jesus out to people's lives. And you know what? What we give, that 10% or anything we give above it, is very, very small in comparison to what Jesus gave for us 
when he went to that cross. And that is the worldview. That is the perspective of Jesus. That is the perspective of a maturing follower of Jesus Christ. And it's the only, only way Jesus gave for getting his mission into the world. So here's the challenge for you and me who are followers of Jesus this morning. I do know this. When the budget is tight, as it is for probably everybody in this room, I'm not belittling that struggle at all. So when the budget is tight, as it was for that crowd that Jesus was talking to that day where he laid this out, he knew that. He cared. He had compassion. But when a budget is tight, to give that first 10% to support God's work, what is that? That is a great test of faith in the real world of struggling to make ends meet. And what it does is it moves our faith from being this abstract spiritual thing to putting it to the real test to see if we really believe that Jesus is Lord over all creation and that the Heavenly Father really does care enough about us to use His power to help us make ends meet. So it's a matter, this this boils down to a matter of whose worldview are we embracing? The world's view of making earning the first thing, earning our stuff, or are we going to embrace Jesus' worldview that we first we give to the work of God, to the kingdom of God, to reaching people with this message of salvation. Earlier in his sermon, in verses 19 to 21, Jesus stated this worldview in a pretty colorful way, with very powerful words, the contrast between the values of this world and the values of his kingdom. In verse 19, he says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures upon earth which they're not going to last, where moth and rust destroy, thieves break through and steal. Now, that doesn't mean don't save for for retirement, don't save your money. He's not dissing Dave Ramsey here, okay? (laughs) In fact, Jesus would completely agree, I think, with what Dave Ramsey's doing about responsibility and responsibility for the future. That's not what he's talking about. He's just saying, don't let your whole goal, goal in life be this world and making ends meet here. There's something bigger than that. Lay up treasures, store up treasures in heaven. Make that your first priority. Give to spread my kingdom. That's number one. But he says in verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Dividends and results that you're going to see in heaven. And what are those going to be? The people whose lives were redeemed because you had a vision to give. There, moth and rust do not destroy. Thieves don't break in there and steal. And then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Whatever you value as your highest priority in this world, is it earning or is it giving? Because that's where your heart will be. So I want to challenge every follower of Jesus in the Calvary family to embark on one of the great faith adventures of your life that will bring you great joy. If you've not already established the priority of tithing, of investing in God's kingdom, then I want to challenge you 
to embrace Jesus' worldview and take the step, move out of stage one and into stage two, into giving, and see if God doesn't prove to be faithful to exactly what Jesus promised he would. Make the first priority of every paycheck. And I do this. I'm not saying something I don't do. Make the first priority of every paycheck 10% to the work of God. And see what God will do. See if Jesus is faithful to his promise. You know, God is doing tremendous things through Calvary Church. He's blessing us. The church is growing. We're grateful for that. We're grateful that we're extending to the world and meeting needs. But what what great and mighty things even more so could God do if all his family embraced this financial view that Jesus Christ is setting out for us? It would be astounding. It would be amazing. Now, if you're here this morning and you're just searching things out about God, about who Jesus is, just checking things out, and you're considering whether to even place faith in Jesus, well, what you've heard in this sermon today is just another education point for you to know what Jesus' worldview is, what his worldview is about finance. Um, And I think that's a good bit of information for anybody that's checking out Christianity to know. And you may be here even with some skepticism about, well, okay, this thing that Jesus is saying, he would really have to be who he is. He'd really have to be God if he could say something as radical as this. He'd really have to be God because otherwise it isn't going to happen. Well, that's exactly what you're here to search out. And I want to commend you for searching. I want to thank you if you're here, maybe even with some skepticism. But your questions are welcome here. We thank you for coming and being a part of this. We have come to believe as followers of Christ that The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is exactly who he said he was, that he did die as the sinless son of God for our sins, and that on the third day after that, he rose from the dead, proving that death was conquered. Our sins can be forgiven, that he is God. He is our Savior. So if you're searching things out, I want to encourage you to search out the evidence Search out the evidence. And here's some ways you can do that. Begin to read the scriptures. Begin to read the New Testament, especially the second half of the Bible. If you need a Bible, we have a bunch of them that you can have just for asking at the information desk. You can have a Bible. Begin to read in the book of Matthew, the New Testament. That's the story of Jesus. The second thing you can do to search out the the evidence is uh, go to a website. One I recommend is pleaseconvinceme.com. It answers a lot of questions. And then you you could do something like this. Read Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. Now, if you're ready to come to Jesus this morning, if you're ready in this place to trust him, then here's what you need to do. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that he rose again. Ask him for forgiveness. Invite him into your life. And then share that decision you've made with somebody else today. It sort of confirms it. Then begin to grow. Get into the scriptures. Get into a small group. And you can begin to grow and develop in this wonderful faith, this new way of life. 
that, con- that, lives in co- that is in such contrast to the usual way things are done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your blessing. Thank you, Lord, that you came and taught us, Lord, how to live on every level of life, Lord. You didn't leave any level untouched. And Lord, you can only teach us something so radical as we've looked at this morning because you are who you said you are. You're God. You are God of all creation. And what you promise, you will do. So Lord, we take you at your word and we embrace this this worldview that you've given us. And Lord, um, I pray that as perhaps new people here today begin this obedient step of tithing of investing first in the kingdom. Lord, that you right off the bat will demonstrate to them in the midst of the financial struggle, demonstrate to them your presence, demonstrate to them, Lord, that you're going to stretch the other 90% farther than they could have ever stretched the 100%. That's your promise, Lord. And we, if we, Lord, we, if we really believe you, if we really believe you are who you said you are, if we really believe Jesus and this faith of ours, then we're going to embrace you at every level. We, we, we surrender our hearts and minds to you, Lord. Continue to build this church and build through this church in the lives of people. Thank you for the wonderful mission that you've given us to be a part of. Father, uh, we give you praise. We give you thanks for these things. And we pray them in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.